0: Well, good morning again. If you have a Bible, please open up to Acts chapter 21. Acts chapter 21, that's page 1106, if you would like to use a Pew Bible. Also, we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9 here in just a few moments as well, if you would like to turn there and hold that place. 1 Corinthians 9, that's 1137, if you're using the Pew Bible. As we get started, I want to uh, just let you know how excited I am that in two weeks' time, we're going to begin a year-long journey together as a church. Uh, we are going to spend one year, starting this Advent, November 27th, we're going to spend one year walking through chronologically the life of Of Jesus as a church. We have daily readings that are available. Uh, There's going to be a family devotional book as well, and our Sunday school classes are on board with this. We're going to be preaching sermons from that week's readings, and uh, again, I'm so excited. Uh, We have people from the Moorwest Center for Applied Theology who we're partnering with uh, on this amazing journey. Uh, They are actually with us out in the atrium, and I want to encourage you to go out and get one of these. Uh, This is a QR code, it's going to give you access. Access to things as we begin this journey, and there'll be other things we'll be rolling out next week as well. Dr. Shane Stanford is a good friend of mine. He is the director of the Moorwest Center for Applied Theology and the creator of JourneyWise, and he wanted to say a special word of thank you and welcome to us because we are the first church to go on this journey called Life Along the Way. So if you would please hear from Dr. Stanford, if you would turn your attention to the screen.
1: Hey. We are so excited here at the Moore West Center and JourneyWise Network to be working with you and partnering with you over this next year as you do life along the way. C.S. Lewis used to say, if you're going to read the book, you have to start one page at a time, but you have to read the next page and be faithful to that. I want you to be faithful to this, not because I'm wanting you to accomplish something. I'm wanting you to experience something in the power of this relationship. And we at the Moore West Center, we are so thankful for Fraser Church. I first came to Fraser uh, when I was a 19-year-old student pastor and came to a workshop that John Ed Matheson was hosting about every member in ministry. And I had watched you for so many years on television and then knew of the course and the things that you guys were doing that were shaping uh, so many other congregations, and we thank you for that. So it is a joy for us to be doing life along the way with you. Be salt and light. You matter.
0: So thankful for Dr. Stanford and all his work. This is going to be an incredible journey over this next year. Uh, Also, as we get started, uh, many of you don't know this, one of my best friends in the whole world is retired Staff Sergeant U.S. Army Jason Green. He did three tours in Iraq, and on his third tour, he was hit by an IED. Uh, He had some surgery in Germany and also here in the States. He's now fully retired, and God has just brought amazing healing both to his mind, his body, his soul, and is using him mightily for the kingdom even today. He is a pastor in Decatur, Alabama. And so I just wanted to give a shout out to Jason and tell my good friend how much I loved him. And through my friendship with him, it gave me a deep appreciation for our veterans and people who have served our country for the freedoms that we have today. And so this being our Veterans Day weekend, we'd like to ask if you've served in our nation's military, would you please stand and let us recognize you this morning? There we go. Amen. Thank you so, so much. Father, we thank you for this morning. Lord, we thank you because you are with us. Lord, we thank you for this journey that we're going to get to take, simply walking through the life of your son as you have revealed it to us. We're excited about that. Lord, we thank you for our veterans who are with us in the room, those watching online. Pray your blessings on them and their family. We're so thankful for their sacrifice. And, Lord, now we're thankful for your word, and we just pray that you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would speak to us this morning. Would you speak? Your servants are listening. We pray this in Jesus' good and powerful name. And everybody said, amen, amen. I recently read the story of a lady named Michelle. Michelle was American. She found herself in Paris, France. And while she was over there, there was a particular type of sandwich that she wanted to eat. It was her last day there. She was flying out the next morning. And so she made her way to a cafe. She walked in the cafe, and the only person in the cafe was one waitress. She walks up to the waitress and she says, I'm an American. I'm leaving tomorrow morning. There's this particular type of sandwich that I would like to try. Do you know about this? The waitress said, yes, I do. And she said, can you make me one of those? Can you get me one? The waitress paused and said, yeah, I can get you one. Just go have a seat and I'll take care of that. Michelle went over and had a seat. And whenever she did, the waitress walked right out the front door of the cafe, leaving Michelle all alone in the cafe. Michelle looked out and she looked across and saw the waitress zig and zagging across the street. It was kind of busy. And the waitress walked all the way over to another cafe across the street. Michelle just sat there alone. And then finally, several minutes went by. The waitress came out of the other cafe from across the street, made it back through the traffic, walked into the door, and she walked up to Michelle and she said, here's your sandwich. She said, not only that, he, I went ahead and paid for it. And Michelle said, well, why did you do that? Why'd you do that? She said, well, our cook is already gone. I knew you really wanted this sandwich. And I knew where I could get it. And I speak French. You don't. I could get it a lot faster than you. So I just went ahead and went over there and got it for you and paid for it for you. I hope you enjoy it. That's what we call going the second mile. Going the second mile. Jesus gave us this principle in Matthew 541 when he says, if someone asks you to carry their bag one mile, you carry it two miles. See, going the second mile means going above and beyond what is asked or required. When was the last time you did that for someone? When was the last time you put just a little more thought into how you were going to serve someone? When was the last time you put just a little bit more effort into how God had called you to serve, maybe within the church or somewhere else? When was the last time you went the second mile? What Paul models for us here today in Acts 21 is what it means to go the second mile. At first reading of this text, it may seem confusing, but once you see that Paul is just going above and beyond, I think things will become clear. Let's pick it up in verse 17. Acts 21 verse 17 tells us that Paul finally made it to Jerusalem. It says, And when we had come to Jerusalem, the brothers, the church, received us gladly received us gladly notice it says when we had come Luke the author of Acts he is with Paul and his other companions as they make this journey and Paul finally makes it to Jerusalem this place where the Holy Spirit had told him to go but notice here what we're going to see in this text Paul's goal was not simply just to set foot within the city of what we know of as Jerusalem even though Paul had arrived in Jerusalem at this point in the text, he has actually not accomplished what he was sent there to accomplish. He had not accomplished anything yet. What Paul shows us here is that the destination, when the Holy Spirit said, go to Jerusalem, the destination was so much more than just physically being present. I mean, when we say that we're going to Disney World, we do not mean that we're going to drive or fly to Disney World We're going to go into the parking lot, and we're going to walk two miles to get to the ticket booth. We're going to buy a ticket, and then we're just going to step foot inside the park, and that's it. I went to Disney World. That's not what we mean when we say we're going to Disney World. When we say we're going to Disney World, we're going to drive a long way or fly down. We're going to go from the parking lot to the ticket booth. We're going to get a ticket. We're going to walk into the park, and then we're going to do an experience All that we can within the park, right? That's what it means to go to Disney World. Not just to set foot on the property. Same thing is true here for Paul. He did not just want to arrive in Jerusalem. He wanted to accomplish what the Holy Spirit wanted him to accomplish through his ministry and mission in Jerusalem, which speaks to us in some very important ways. Our job is not just to show up. It's not. No, that's half the battle, but our job is not just to show up. We want to show up and enter into worship. We want to show up and serve. We want to show up and learn. We want to show up and grow through engaging the life of the body. We want to show up at work and be missionaries, not just doing our job but reaching other people for Christ. We want to serve the community and the world around us. We don't just want to be present. We want to contribute. And that's Paul's mentality when he arrives. Notice what happens in verse 18. It says, On the following day, Paul went in with us to James. And all the elders were present. First place Paul goes is he goes to the leadership of the church in Jerusalem. James is the leader in the church in Jerusalem, not Peter. Uh, Some traditions say that Peter was the leader in the church in Jerusalem. That is not true. James, we saw this six uh, chapters earlier. James is the leader in the church in Jerusalem. He goes to James, who is the senior leader. And then also there are other elders present. Now, the term elders in Scripture is used in two particular ways. Number one, there's the office of elder which means people who are specifically charged with care of the flock, with shepherding the flock. But also the word elder is used when more mature believers are shepherding the flock in a local setting as well, just not in official capacity. Here, Paul meets with James, who is the senior leader, if you will, and also the other elders, the other people who hold the office of an elder. And notice what he shares with them in verse 19. After greeting them... He related one by one the things that God had done among, notice, the Gentiles through his ministry. Paul greets them in this moment, and he begins to talk about all, one by one, telling story after story, city after city, about what God had been doing among the Gentiles. Among the Gentiles. Notice, remember, he is in Jerusalem, surrounded by Jewish leaders, a Jewish church in a Jewish city. And he goes and he begins to share about what God is doing among the Gentiles. This is not just Paul giving a report to upper management, okay? This is Paul giving a testimony. He's testifying to what God has been doing through his ministry and mission work among the Gentiles who just a few chapters earlier, the church in Jerusalem were debating whether or not they could be real Christians, And he goes back and he gives a report. And he says, this is how God has been on the move. You know, I grew up in a church that every time we did prayer requests, we did praise reports. Anybody else remember praise reports? Yeah, we do it on Sunday morning. Sometimes prayer requests got real crazy, by the way. But it's not gossip session. It's prayer request, right? Yeah, some of you know what I'm talking about. But also we would have services that were just testimony services. Just testimony. We'd come in, we would sing, but then we'd be open mic and people would just share about what God was doing in their life. And those were so encouraging to hear these recent accounts about what God is doing. Because when we hear the recent stories of the recent past, how God was on the move, it encourages us in the present. And what I love about testimonies is that when we give testimonies, testimonies kill our pride. Testimonies kill our pride. You see, we spend much of our life bragging on ourselves, but when we're given a testimony, we're bragging on God. We're bragging on what God has done. It's not about us, it's about Him. And Paul goes into the leaders there in Jerusalem, and he begins to tell them, this is what God has done, city after city among the Gentiles. Notice how they respond, verse 20. says, and when they heard it, they glorified God. They heard what God was doing among the Gentiles, and they immediately glorified God. And then notice, and they said to him, You see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed. While Paul is sharing what God is doing among the Gentiles, the church in Jerusalem, they praise God, they glorify God, and then they say back to Paul, they say, Guess what? God is doing it among the Jews as well. God is moving among the Gentiles. God is moving among the Jews. And in the middle, you have the church in Jerusalem glorifying God. This is amazing. You could not be any different than Jew-Gentile in the first century. They ate different foods. They talked different. They dressed different. Everything was different about them. And yet, in the middle here, you have this church thanking God for how he's moving among the Gentiles and how he is moving among the Jews at the same time. You know, one of the marks of a healthy Christian is when a Christian can celebrate what God is doing in another Christian's life. You can be genuinely happy for what God is doing in someone else's life, especially when you don't see that something else in yours. One of the marks of a healthy ministry Which is what we see here. Is when one ministry can celebrate what God is doing in another ministry. One of the marks of a healthy church. Is when one church can celebrate what God is doing in another church. That's what we see playing out here. These two ministries, one to the Jews, one to the Gentiles, coming together, sharing their God's stories in Jerusalem, and both are celebrating and cheering on the other one. Because you know there's no competition in the kingdom. There's no competition in the kingdom. When God looks at us, he doesn't see Methodists and Baptists and Presbyterians and Anglicans and Episcopalians and Pentecost. He doesn't see any of that. We created that. There's no competition. There's just the kingdom. And we are a part of thanking God for what he's doing across his kingdom. Now, there's a problem here, though. While they're rejoicing in this moment about what God is doing among the Gentiles and among the Jews, James tells Paul that there are some who are very zealous about the law. Very zealous about the law in verse 21. And they have been told about you, Paul, that you teach all the Jews. Notice the exaggeration. All the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to our customs. Problem. The problem is Paul arrives in Jerusalem. There is so much celebration taking place because what God is doing among the Jews and the Gentiles, and yet James has to deliver this bad news and just say, Paul, there's a lot of rumors and half-truths going around in Jerusalem about you. And it has to do about your relation to the Jewish customs and who this Jesus is. So here's the solution. Notice verse 22. What then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come, James says. Paul says, James says to Paul, they're going to know you're in the city. Do therefore what we tell you. Follow our advice. We have four men who are under a vow. Take these men and purify yourself along with them and pay their expense so that they might shave their heads Now, at this point, you're probably wondering, what is going on? Watch this. Thus all will know that there is nothing in what they have been told about you, but that you yourself also live in observance of the law. But as for the Gentiles who have believed... We have sent a letter with our judgment that they should abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols from blood and what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. We saw that in fifteen Acts 15. Then Paul took the men the next day and he purified himself along with them and went into the temple, giving notice when the days of purification will be fulfilled and the offering presented for each one of them. We read that and we go, what just happened? I thought Paul was out of this law stuff. And now all of a sudden it looks like James wants him to observe the law. What what is taking place here? We have to remember there are three categories or kinds or types of laws in the Old Testament. There's the moral law, there's the regulatory laws, the civil laws, and there's the ritual laws. The moral laws, think Ten Commandments, these are the way in which we are to live as moral human beings on the planet. By the way, morals don't change. Morals don't change. The regulatory or civil laws are the ways the people of Israel lived in community together, how they lived as a nation, as a people. The ritual laws were how the people of Israel worshiped God. They were ways in which they would worship God, namely around the temple, which is the context of chapter 21. Now, this idea of shaving their heads, these four people who are under a vow, and they're going to shave their heads, and then James is encouraging Paul to participate in some way in this. The shaving of their heads has to do with a Nazarite vow. A Nazarite vow. Numbers chapter 6. There's a few verses there that explain... What a Nazarite vow is. It is a vow that someone has to volunteer to make. And in a Nazarite vow, people would shave their heads. They would abstain from grapes or wine or things like that. Offerings were presented in the temple and then you had to pay for those offerings. The Nazarite vow would fall under the ritual law. Law that pertain to worship. Isn't it? it is a voluntary act of worship that someone could engage in to set themselves apart and consecrate themselves for a short period of time. And James is encouraging Paul to participate in this. How so? Why so? Isn't the law in Christ, isn't all that completely separate? Well, you gotta remember, Paul lived under the moral law, as do we. Again, morals do not change. Any moral law you see in the Old Testament still applies to us today. Again, think of the Ten Commandments. Paul also lived within the regulatory civil laws because he was a citizen of uh, Israel, right? But the ritual laws, this is where it starts getting sticky for us. We think, well, isn't, isn't Jesus not law? Paul could actually engage in the ritual laws Ritual worship, not as a way to have his sins forgiven in any way, no, but as a memorial of remembrance that his sins were forgiven. Paul could participate in acts of worship within the temple as a way to tell the people to point back to what Jesus had done a few decades earlier. Several years ago, I found myself in a village in the West Bank in the Middle East. I walked up this hill, hiked up this hill to the top of it, and there was this old Greek Orthodox church, I think, from the 4th century. And it was just ruins at this point. But the archway of the door was still there. And in that archway of the door, there were two chains that hung down. And on those two chains at the end, there were two huge hooks. And whenever we walked up, I saw the archway, and I saw the chains and the hooks, and I walked up to it, and then all of a sudden I realized there was dried blood everywhere. Whenever we went back down the hill, we were asking people, what was going on? Why were there these chains? And it looked like somebody had sacrificed something or killed something right there. Much like what we would do if you go deer hunting, if you do those things. There was blood on the ground, and there were chains there to hold up the animal. And as I was asking people about this, they said, you know, there's this group of people within the village, about 2,000 people who live in the village. Every year they would go, same time of year, and they would actually sacrifice a lamb. Not for the forgiveness of their sins. They don't do this to get their sins forgiven. They actually roast the lamb. They share the lamb as a family, as a gathering. He said, but whenever they go, they always like to do it at the church because it reminds them and it's a way for them to teach their children that Jesus was the one who died in their place, and lambs actually don't have to be sacrificed anymore. Now, my mind, I was thinking, I'm sure there are a lot cleaner ways to prove that point, right? Right? <laughs> But for them, their ancestors did make sacrifices and would go up to the temple. What had carried on, part of their culture, was whenever they would have a barbecue, they would remind themselves and remind their children that Jesus died for us. They used it as a teaching tool. See, Paul could participate in the Passover with other Jews. The reason? Not to... Anticipate the Messiah, but to tell them that the Messiah had already come. Paul could participate in a Nazarite vow. The reason? To show people, to build a bridge, and to have an opportunity to share Christ with them. You see, you have to remember Paul's philosophy of ministry. Paul's philosophy of ministry is one that makes most of us nervous because we like to be so individualistic in our day. Paul's philosophy of ministry is 1 Corinthians 9, starting in verse 19. Paul says, For I am free from all. All religious regulations. I'm free from that. And though I'm free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. Paul says, I'm free from the law, but I make myself a servant to people. For the sake of the gospel that I might share with them in its blessing. That's why Paul could participate in this way on this day. To help build a bridge to share the gospel with fellow Jews. You see for Paul second mile ministry was the only way to do ministry. Second mile ministry was the only way to do ministry. And Paul did second mile ministry because Jesus went the second mile for him. Jesus went above and beyond for Paul, and Paul knew that. That's why Paul would go above and beyond for others. Paul did not see the ritual law as salvific. No, he saw it as a memorial of remembrance, a way to point back to Jesus and to point people to Jesus. He was not denying his faith. He was not compromising his faith at all. Again, he could take part of celebrations like the Feast of Tabernacles, of booths. He could take part of Passover and point people to Jesus But here's the thing that I think Paul teaches us, and we see it in other places, but Paul teaches it here, and that is people can see you in first-mile service. People can see you do something in first-mile ministry, but people see Jesus in you in second-mile ministry. When you go the second mile, when you go above and beyond, even to the point of participating in a Nazarite vow, I don't know about you, but I'm not fond of shaving my head. May have to one day. That was funny. (laughs) Go above and beyond, second mile ministry. People start asking why. Why would you do that? Why would you be so generous? Why would you go out of your way? When people start asking those questions, it gives you an opportunity to tell them about Jesus. Again, second mile ministry was the only way to do ministry for Paul, and it's because he knew Jesus went the second mile for him. Now, i got to be honest with you as I close out the sermon. Not everybody is going to like your second mile efforts. In fact, what we see in verses 27 through 36 is that people in the temple, did not like Paul's second mile efforts at all. In fact, they arrested him. And he knew it was going to happen. Sometimes, whenever we go the second mile, we give of ourselves and we serve. We run into those who do not like it, do not understand it, do not receive it, or do not appreciate it. And anybody who lives a life serving, going the second mile, there are going to be times when you feel unappreciated or underappreciated. You will. You will. But it's in those moments when we feel unappreciated or underappreciated for going the second mile, for continuing to serve as Christ served us, it's in those moments we have to remember that an earthly rejection of your second mile effort can never erase heaven's record of it. That's why Colossians 3.23 says, Whatever you do, do it with all your heart as working to the Lord and not to men. And there are times when, when we're going above and beyond and we're living out second-mile ministry and second-mile service and serving others, and, and you just don't feel appreciated. Again, you have to remember God sees you. Several years ago, I was having a pity party. You ever have one of those? It was a bad one, you know. I mean, several years ago, I was just walking, I underappreciated, non-seen, I just made that up. Um, you know, we've all been there. God, I'm doing all this for you. Nobody recognizes it. So I'm down the hallway of the church several years ago, having my pity party, and my phone rang. Looked down, it was a Memphis number. Didn't recognize it. I said, I know a lot of people in Memphis. We'll see who it is. Maybe a telemarketer. I don't know. If it is, I'll tell them about Jesus. <laughs> it's fun said, hello, it was Pastor Keith. Pastor Keith pastors a very large African-American church in Memphis, Tennessee, historic church, beautiful church, part of the civil rights movement, has a great history and legacy. It was Pastor Keith on the other end of the line. He's 6'6", deep voice. You know, I know who he is. He said, Chris. I said, yes. He goes, this is Pastor Keith. I said, well, good to talk to you. I hadn't talked to him in a couple of years. He said, hey, just want to call and tell you. God want me to tell you. He sees you. Keep up the good work. Click. <laughs> that was one of those. Yeah, yeah, about, about. Yeah. I just want to tell you this morning, God sees you. He sees you. You've been going the second mile. You've been giving of yourself over and over again. You may feel unappreciated or underappreciated, but he sees you. He sees you. Keep up the good work. Don't lose heart. Don't grow weary. He sees you. He sees you. Amen? Amen. Amen. Father, thank you that you see us today. I thank you for these amazing people who are sitting in this room, those watching online and television, for all those who have been going the second mile. They've been giving sacrificially of themselves over and over again, serving other people. God, thank you that you see them. I pray your blessings on them. And I pray that in the midst of their service, even in those moments when they feel unappreciated or underappreciated, that Lord, I pray not only would you see them, but would they see you. Lord, as we live our lives, may we speak. The blessings that you have given us over everyone we meet. Lord, we love you. We really do. And we thank you for loving us. We pray this in Jesus' good and powerful name. And everybody said.